So if you ask my wife, Kat, uh, why she married me, she'll give you a couple reasons. Now, she won't tell you it was my good looks, my keen intelligence, or my winsome personality. All things which are, by the way, completely true. Just want to make that clear. Now, she will tell you that one of the reasons she married me was because of a game that we played the first time I was ever at her house, and it was this game, foosball. Oh, yeah. Now, those who've ever played a game with my wife know that she's highly competitive. Uh, she plays to win, and it most likely will not show you any mercy. Uh, and when it comes to foosball, she takes no prisoners. She's good. I mean, really good at foosball. I didn't know that at the time. Uh, I'm more of a ping pong kind of guy, by the way. Uh, but I can manage a game of foosball here and there. So here we were, uh, just getting to know one another, and she invites me to play a game of foosball with her at her house. I agree, not knowing what kind of player she is, and I'm taken aback during the game at her skill, her determination, and her outright ruthlessness. It was a very hard-fought game, but in the end, guess what? I won! <laughs> that was the first, and I believe the only time I've ever beat her in a game of foosball. Uh, but because I was able to beat her that day, I was deemed a worthy opponent and, of course, a worthy mate. <laughs> so I suppose you could say that foosball was foundational to our relationship, but I would say that it goes beyond just a single game of foosball. I think it was play in general. We have long enjoyed a playful kind of relationship filled with games, adventure, and risk. For instance, for our 15th wedding anniversary, we went to Costa Rica. Now, what normally comes to your mind when you think of vacationing in the tropics? Kicking back on the beach, sipping some coconut water, maybe jungle waterfalls. Well, here we are. Who knew it could get so cold in the tropics? We decided, hey, let's climb a mountain. So we did. We like to play. We like to do things different. We like adventure. And I'm convinced that that has helped us to develop a deep, intimate friendship as well as a strong, healthy marriage. And as it turns out, there's actually something to this. Stuart Brown has conducted decades of research into the effects of play and has summarized his research in the book, Play, How It Shapes the Brain, Opens the Imagination, and Invigorates the Soul. Starting in the 60s, research was done uh, showing that babies do better in terms of brain development with an enriched environment. That includes things like toys and, and color, lots of color and movement and sound and so forth. However, what they discovered is that it's not the enriched environment per se, which is the critical factor. That's simply the medium by which the child and parent develop a richer, more playful kind of relationship. In other words, it's an enriched relationship through play that makes all the difference. In fact, if you enhance the environment for just a solitary child, it won't make the same difference. There needs to be the relationship. Play, they say, is, is essential for developing critical uh, positive characteristics like, like uh, love and trust and empathy, the ability to share with another. In fact, the intimacy that develops out of a playful relationship is seen remarkably in our brains. As a child and parent play together, if you were to do an EEG, it would show that the neuroactivity in the right cortex of their brains actually synchronize. 
they experience a joyful union both physically and emotionally. We might say that play attunes people to one another and is an important form of bonding. Brown concludes by making the bold claim that play is at the foundation of all personal relationships. Play is at the foundation of all personal relationships. Well, that got me thinking. If play is at the foundation of all personal relationships, and we claim to have a personal relationship with Jesus, then it would seem to follow that play is a helpful way for us to grow in that relationship as well. So is this something that God actually desires of us? Play. Is there some sense in which we could say that our relationship with God is playful? Well, as we continue our series entitled Invitation to Play, which is designed to explore the different ways which I believe play is, in fact, an important part of Christian spirituality, I want us to take a look at some of these questions and hopefully discover a few new ways of experiencing and growing in our relationship with God. Are you ready? Well, let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the honor that we have to gather together and worship with friends and family, this community, uh, to not only worship you, but create some space for your spirit to work both in our hearts and minds. As we read the scripture this morning, I pray your blessing on it. Uh, we commit this uh, time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the text I want to start out with this morning is found in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. And we're going to be picking up a, a, a portion of a story that is part of a larger narrative having to do with a guy named Jacob and his brother Esau. You might be familiar with their narrative. If not, it's okay. Uh, little tiny background, they've been separated for years, Jacob and his brother Esau, due to a conflict, and they are soon to be reunited. But before that highly anticipating, anticipated meeting takes place, Jacob has another enigmatic encounter with a stranger. And it's that encounter that I want to read with you. It is Genesis 32. I'm going to pick it up in verse 24. It says, So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Strange passage that we read. And that's actually one of the things I like about this text. I like how obtuse it is. You know, who is this person anyways? How did they begin this wrestling match? How did that start? What was it like? Their dialogue, when I, when I read it, it, it appears somewhat tense and yet at times almost a little playful. There are all sorts of unanswered questions. There's the giving of a new name and, of course, the divine blessing that Jacob was supposedly fighting for. And in the end, Jacob somehow concludes that this wrestling match was, in fact, with 
God when he says, I saw God face to face. <laughs> oh yeah, and I lived to tell about it. Well, based on this counter, this encounter, how would you characterize Jacob's relationship with God? If you had just read this story and Jacob's interaction with God in this story, how would you characterize their relationship? Would it be, let's say, like a master and their servant? Or how about a lord or sovereign and their subject? Uh, does this passage seem to give the sense of like a shepherd and their obstinate sheep? Or is it maybe more like two friends who are in this intense but yet playful competition? Well, the scriptures use a multitude of metaphors to describe the, the human divine relationship. Things like Lord and King and Savior and Shepherd parent, spouse, the, the scriptures are replete with all sorts of different metaphors and models to describe and characterize our relationship with God. And I think they all have their place in helping us understand our relationship with God. And obviously, no metaphor or model is complete in and of itself. They all kind of help us uh, kind of come at that relationship from different perspectives and different angles. But when it comes down to it, I think there are really three fundamental ways of characterizing the nature of our relationship with God. The first emphasizes God as like an all-powerful sovereign who works for our good. Now, this is a view that stresses that God is for us. We are helpless and we need God. We need God's help. God is the one who works on our behalf. It's a model that we could say is centered on divine strength in contrast to human weakness. God is for us. The second metaphor or model, I think, shifts the emphasis slightly so that we are the ones who are seen doing work for God. Uh, this is a view that stresses that God is with us. God comes alongside of us. God empowers us with his grace and his presence to serve him in order that together we can work together to see more of God's kingdom come on earth as it is in the heavens. God is with us. Finally, the third fundamental way of characterizing the nature of our relationship with God continues to emphasize this cooperative dimension of our relationship, but it takes it much further by stressing that God is in us. That is, that God is so close, so intimate, that there's a kind of joyful union, a harmony. We might even say a kind of, of attunement, not at all unlike the attunement between a parent and their child, or a husband and wife, or between two really close friends. And while all three of these characteristics are true, God is for us, God is with us, and God is in us, I think the primary way most Christians experience and express their relationship with God is with the first two models, and in particular, the idea of servanthood. I think thinking of oneself as a servant of God, doing the Lord's work, sacrificing our time and energy to, to save the lost and change the world comes across as a very noble and mature way of understanding our relationship with God. You know, it's good to teach children that Jesus is their friend. It's a great way to introduce kids to him. But as they mature and, and they grow, they ought to develop into a more adult understanding of their relationship with God. You know, he's our Lord and Master, and we 
are his servants. Friendship with God is fine, we might think. You know, we can sing about it, we can talk about it, but it's far too lightweight of an idea to emphasize over the glorious sacrifices of servanthood, right? However, I want us to take a look at what Jesus taught his disciples shortly before his arrest in John 15, 15. He says this to them, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. Interesting. In Jesus' own teaching, a mature relationship involves, in a sense, the disciples deliberately shifting away from a, uh, a notion of servanthood to one of friendship. In other words, knowing Christ as Lord is essential, but so too is knowing Christ as friend. And I think friendship with God is really important it's a really important characteristic of our relationship because it's rooted in the simplicity of grace. Because at its deepest level, friendship is free, it's voluntary, and it's non-utilitarian. Friends simply enjoy being together for no other reason than the pleasure and the, the pleasure that their presence, our friend, brings to it. I mean, do friends work together? on projects and, and sometimes even, you know, in the workplace? Of course they do. do. Do friends help one another achieve goals and produce things? Yeah. But I think these things don't normally define our friendships. They're not at the heart of our friendships. Because if we, if we were no longer working with our friends, let's say we were working with our friend at a particular job, if we were no longer at that job uh, any longer, we would still if we were friends, we would still get together. We would still do things with one another. Because our friendship is usually defined by things like, let's say, adventure and creativity and fun and laughter, the joys of eating and drinking, and at its core, things like play. I mean, friends, if they do anything together, it's play. And so I believe that based on Jesus' own teaching, that God absolutely desires a relationship that includes elements of play and playfulness. In fact, the more I experience my own spirituality in a playful manner, the more open I am to experiencing my relationship with God in a playful manner. And I think approaching our relationship with God playfully has the benefits of developing a closer, more intimate bond with God. There's a certain attunement or synchronization that can take place between us that helps us better become aware of God's presence and activity and voice in our lives. That can help us understand God's heart toward us and even experience a kind of joyful union that Jesus talks about a couple chapters later in John 17. You know, if you read John 17, Jesus is praying to the Father for his disciples and for those who would come after those disciples. And at the heart of his prayer is that the disciples would experience, that you and I would experience a joyful union with the Father and the Son, just as they have with one another. That we would experience intimacy, a kind of bond, a, an attunement with one another. And at the end of the day, I think a playful relationship with God helps us learn and grow in grace. 
we discover the pleasure of just simply being in God's presence for, for, for not what we can get out of it, but simply because we enjoy being in God's presence. The relationship we have with God is good just in and of itself, whether or not we do anything for one another. To know and be known, to love and be loved, friends of God. And I believe that changes things. Does that mean we're no longer a servant? No. We still serve God. But understanding friendship and being able to interact with God in a way that friends do is critical to growing in our relationship with Jesus. For instance, we usually start our weekly staff meetings here at church with one of us leading a spiritual practice or a devotional. Well, one week Pat had us uh, spend some time doing a listening prayer exercise, and we weren't told who we were listening for. A lot of times we'd be like, okay, we're going to listen to God's heart for you know, so-and-so, and then you know, we were able to kind of key in on a particular person. Well, this one, Pat's like, well, I'm not going to tell you who it is. We'll do a big reveal afterwards. And so we were supposed to see what God wanted to say to this unnamed person. And, and uh, so we took a few minutes of listening and to see if we received any words or pictures that uh, would convey something we felt like God was saying. And when we were all done, Pat did the big reveal. Who was it? Well, guess what? It was ourselves. <laughs> we were listening for ourselves. We were listening to God's heart for each one of us. So what I was sensing, I was sensing for myself. Now that alone, I think, is a very playful way of practicing listening prayer. It was unpredictable, as play often is. There was a surprising twist in the end, as all good jokes have. But joke, this was not. God spoke to each one of us in creative and, I believe, playful ways. For instance, during this time of listening, I received this picture of someone who was playing a chess match with God. I didn't know at the time it was me, but I saw this picture of, of someone playing chess with God. And, and it, it, the sense I got was not that it was tense or difficult, uh, but rather it was kind of a relaxed, kind of a lighthearted game. And then I felt like God said to this person, who was really me, it's not about winning or losing. I simply enjoy being with you. I simply enjoy this moment of play together. I started thinking about that moment. I started thinking about the encounter Jacob had with God. And I thought to myself, I wonder if there's an element of this that's reflected in Jacob's wrestling match with God. I mean, God comes to Jacob in the form of a man so that it kind of seems like they're more evenly matched, right? I mean, if God really wanted to, to win a match with us, he could probably come and just, just you know, destroy us, right? Like, oh, you want to go? Let's go. You know, we wouldn't have a chance. And yet, in some ways, in a, in a way that almost foreshadows the incarnation of Christ, Jesus comes, or, or God comes in the form of a man, wrestling with Jacob. In fact, Jacob is, is winning. And so God's like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, like, get one up on him by, like, wrenching his hip out of his socket. It's like God's got to cheat. 
I mean, if you really think about it, this is a funny passage. God's got to cheat to win. And even though he cheats, he doesn't win. Jacob still wins. Checkmate. I thought about it. I thought, what if, what if it's not really about a new name or trophy blessings? What if this experience, this encounter, was really about their relationship? Was really about teaching Jacob something about the heart of God? I mean, he says in the end of that counter, I saw God face to face. Now, normally, when, when, when in, especially in the Old Testament, when you hear about the face of God, there's often fear that accompanies that. There's a sense of we can't look upon the face of God and yet live. And yet Jacob says, I saw God face to face, and <laughs> I lived to tell about it. And then if you go to Exodus 33:11, you read about Moses speaking to God face to face as one would with a friend. It's actually, I was just going through this talk last night, and that popped into my head, and I, and I thought, oh my gosh, I wonder if that phrase, face-to-face, at its heart, carries with it the, the notion of friendship with God, of accessibility, of being able to encounter God in a way where there's no fear, rather there's complete vulnerability, almost a certain playfulness. Maybe, just maybe, God wants us to stop taking ourselves so seriously all the time and simply enjoy this amazing gift of friendship. The great theorist of play, John Huizinger, argued, only a playful way of living does justice to the seriousness of life. Only a playful way of living does justice to the seriousness of life. It might take a couple weeks to, to sink in what that might mean, but... It also reminds me all of this, my chess game with God and, 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 and the wrestling match with Jacob and, and, and the, the stranger. It reminds me of a great poem by the 14th century Persian mystic Hafiz. Now, Hafiz often, if you read his poems, he often writes about God as a friend, as, as his beloved. He once said, for instance, the famous line of his, I am a hole in a flute that Christ's breath moves through. Listen to his music. And then in one of his poems, he writes about playing a chess match with God. It's called Tripping Over Joy, and I'd like to kind of close out the talk by sharing this poem with you. This is what he writes. He says, what is the difference between your experience of existence and that of a saint? The saint knows that the spiritual path is a sublime chess game with God. And that the beloved has just made such a fantastic move that the saint is now continually tripping over joy and bursting out in laughter and saying, I surrender. Whereas, my dear, I'm afraid you still think you have a thousand serious moves. You are a friend of God. You are friends of God. Jesus says, I no longer call you a servant. I call you my friend. And friends, if they do anything at all, they play. So let me just offer a couple of suggestions, some almost playful ways of maybe 
having some prayer experiences with God uh, this week. The first thing, this is kind of like an imaginative prayer exercise I encourage you to possibly do. Ask yourself this question. If you were to play a game with Jesus, what would it be and why? If you were to choose a game, if Jesus were to come and say, hey, let's play a game together, what shall we play? What would you choose and why would you have chosen that game? And once you have that answer, take that into prayer and talk to Jesus about it. Tell him why you'd like to play this game with him. And then maybe spend some time listening and see what the Spirit says. Uh, see if you can even get a sense of, of kind of God's reaction to that. So that's the first suggestion, kind of playful way of praying this week. The second thing is, I think, really important. We often talk about how much God loves us. You know, that's something that a truth kind of bored into us as, you know, we grow up, especially those who grow up in the church. We know God loves us. And yet there can be a sense where it's like, yeah, I know God loves me. He kind of has to love me because God is love, that kind of thing. But I think just as important, if not more, is knowing that God likes me, that God likes you. And so another great question to ask, to take into prayer, is the question, God, what do you like about me? What do you like about me? And then take some time to listen and see what the Holy Spirit drops into your heart. What are some of the things that God likes about you? Things that God takes pleasure and says, you know, this, this thing that you do, I absolutely love it. That's why we're friends. Friends of God. Amen? I'm just going to pray a blessing over us about this. So, Father, we thank you that you have called us friends. That friendship, Jesus seems to be saying, lies at the heart of our relationship with you. And that play is a part of that. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would continue this process of releasing us into the freedom of the sons and daughters of the living God, allowing us to experience play. Some of us might, you know, have been adults for decades and, and we struggle with this notion of play. And so I pray that you give us freedom now in Jesus' name and give us freedom to experience our relationship with you in a playful manner as well. Freedom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.